Welcome to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. I'm your host, Les Shapiro. And I'm your co-host, Vic Lombardi. Now, each episode, we'll bring inspiring interviews with great athletes, celebrities, and the most brilliant minds in medicine on how to beat adversity to win in life. So thanks for spending time with us as we bring you one step closer to becoming your best unstoppable self. We're joined by Denver Nuggets guard Monte Morris in his fourth season in the NBA, a key cog in the Denver Nuggets and in their run to the Western Conference Finals last year. Monte, welcome to the show. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate being on. So, Monte, how different is this year, going into this year, versus last year when you went into the season? You mean like before the bubble, right? Before the bubble, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it's just different. Um, Travel different. You know, you test every day and you just got to be cognizant of who you basically around after you leave the arena. Uh, so you can stay like negative on the uh, COVID test. So um, it's a whole thing basically on the road. You can't leave the hotel rooms. You can have uh, like two visitors come, but you only could get food there and things. So it's a difference. Well, with the bubble, I mean, everybody was able to keep an eye on you. Yeah. Your teammates were able to keep an eye on you. Training staff, coaching staff, front office. Now across the NBA, guys aren't being watched 24-7. So do you think there are going to be some problems going forward knowing how guys, how 20-somethings act normally, whether they're NBA players or not? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know it's going to be a lot of – it's going to be some games. We may be down two, three guys. Hopefully that's not the case. But some young guys coming in the league, it's guys mid-age, my age, with a lot of money. So, um, you know, you just never know. But hopefully our season can go smooth sailing and we can uh, beat this COVID thing. It's one thing to do it during the bubble where you guys were all self-contained and you all had the same regimen every day. Coach Malone was telling me, in this day and age, when you're out of the bubble, you got to get to the facility an hour early every day. You got to wait around for these tests. After a while, it's got to be taxing. Can you walk us through a day? Yeah, I mean, uh, I usually start in the weight room at 940. um, So that means I have to test around like 8.20, because it takes like 45 minutes to get my test results back. So, and that take away from, you know, your breakfast routine that I usually be able to do once I just walk in the arena. And then, um, you know, my stretching ritual before I even start in the weight room. So the earlier you get there, the easier you will be able to, but that's taking away from your normal sleep routine. So you just got to figure out what best suits you. Um, it's not easy. You get there earlier. Then you sit in the car for 45, 50 minutes till you get your results. And then you go do what you have to do. And then after, you still got a cold tub, hot tub, get stretched, get up extra shots. So I'm usually home around like three now, opposed to like one, you know. So it's definitely been a transition and been kind of difficult with guys. But we got to figure it out. So. Monte, you were a second-round pick. So – Nobody handed you a job in the NBA. You had to go get it, man. And you've been that way uh, your entire life in terms of going to get it. You had to prove a lot of people wrong. Do you embrace that and you use that as fuel even to this day? Yeah, I mean, I just always remember, you know, looking back on it, you know, it was 50 guys that was just drafting in front of me that I outplayed on the biggest stage at the collegiate level. So 
I just always, you know, let that sink in. You know, was, they did a redraft, and then they redrafted me. I was like lottery pick in our draft as far as the years went by. And then, you know, guys who aren't in the league no more. But I, I let it fuel me every day. I remember where I was at. I remember packing up my whole closet, going to RGV. And I know when I was coming back to Denver, um, when I was on my two-way, um, just waiting on the opportunity, having success in the G League and still only appearing in two games under three minutes my rookie year. So I just know where I started, and I don't want to go back there. So I just use that as fuel every day and never try to get complacent and just try to keep getting better. And now in your fourth year, you showed you can be a producer in this league. Uh, you are a main part of this Nuggets team, and you sign a new three-year deal. What's it like, Monte, to know that if you deal with the finances correctly, you will never have to worry about money again, and your kids will never have to worry about money again? And maybe your grandkids might never have to worry about money again. Yeah, I mean, that's it's, it's big time, man. I know um, everything you said. I even talked to my mom about it, you know, my my team that's around me. Um, it's just something we've been working so hard for, man, since 2017. You know, I got a I got a documentary on YouTube. If you guys ever want to get a chance to watch it, where it started from the beginning, you know, and where I was missing 32 missed shots in a row. Like, like we started so low and just grinded it out. So, like, now this opportunity came. It was touching for everybody, you know, that had been around me, my circle, you know, and they just know how hard I had worked. So, like, once I got my deal, like, I went up there with Tim, and we had to talk, you know, the same thing. He was like, man, you, you're set, man. Like, you're in this 1%, 2% bracket. And me, being where I'm from, you know, that's a lot of money. But, like, I never seen that much money before. So, I just, like, it ain't hit me yet, you know. And, like, it's just feel normal. It still don't feel like I even signed the deal. You know, I'm still hungry, and I'm still trying to get better. So, everybody, like, man, you – you made it, you made it. I'm like, I just feel normal. But I guess that's just the, the flint in me, the grind in me, and just, I don't know, just, just keep going. So Let's talk about the beginning, because you're so proud of where you're from, and you should be. You're from Flint, Michigan. Explain to people what that was like growing up. We've heard so much about the water situation there, uh, above and beyond, but your personal life, what, what was it like growing up in Flint, and, and why was it a tough way out? Yeah, I mean, it was tough, man. You got to think, uh, around my era, uh, we were number one, number one, number two in the country with murders per year. So in my era, around 2010 through 2013, we were number one in the country. So it was violence every day. You know, you'll be sleeping on the couch. You just you hear gunshots. You hear things going on. And as far as your circle, things, it was murders going on around you. And people in your circle would be going to jail, doing this. So I had to stay on the right path. So I tried to associate myself with basketball players in my community. And we would all go to the Y and just try to stay out of trouble, try to avoid parties and things like that, because they would always get shot up and things. So it's just me and my mom at the time. So she was working two jobs. So I had so much free time. I'm the only child being able to be at my house. You know, she had work. I see her from at five o'clock. She'd get off at five and then she'd go do another shift at 7.38, and I had to get myself ready for school. I had to wash clothes and things like that. At so young of an age, I think it developed me mentally to try to, you know, be ready for my next step, which was college. So, How tempting was it, Monte? Was it ever tempting to the point where you almost gave up the basketball and, and followed the bad elements in the neighborhood? 
Nah, not really. Um, because you know, Mateen Cleese, Glenn Rice, Morris Peterson, Jeff Grayer, and those guys. I would go to the Y, and this one they were still chasing a pro thing. So I seen the cars they would pull up in. I seen the just the you know the lifestyle, how they would come work out. You know, and you can tell they was a pro, and I I always wanted to be a pro, so. I never really was letting anything derail my my path to the NBA. I would have a rim up, bumping into the wall, middle of the night, my mom yelling, like, go to bed. Like, I just knew I was going to make it to the NBA. Like, nobody could tell me. I was 120, 120 pounds going to my freshman year of high school. And he was like, he's small, he's small. I graduated high school at, like, 148. Like, <laughs> But I always knew, I'm like, yo, I'm going to the league, like, I'm going to be a professional basketball player. So, like, that other side, I seen some of my best role models of my era growing up. He got into it at this dice game, drive-by shooting that he initiated. Then he had to go to jail, messed up his senior year. And I was in the eighth grade, about to be a freshman at the time. So that was eye-opening for me. Like, it don't even matter if you're the best in the area. Like, you still have to follow these rules. You still got to do this. So, when. Well, my role model at the time, his name was DeAndre Upchurch. You know, he opened up his senior year 42, 40, 39, was about to have all these D1 offers, and he got in trouble, and he couldn't play no more due to all that. So once I seen that, that really just made my focus be that much better. And just like, yo, you can't you can't be another statistic because a little kid probably was looking up to me at the time and was going to look up to me once I got older. So I always just try to keep that focus. So I, I never was going to let that slip away because I promised my mom I was going to get her a house and a car and all that because she worked her tail off of me to even get to camps and be seen. So I just had to pay it back to her. And that was my that was my only way to. Did you get her the house or car yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How cool was that? How gratifying was it when you said, Ma, this is yours? Uh, it was so crazy because I got her her, her Porsche on um, Christmas last year, a game, Christmas game. I walked her to it, and me, it's hard for me to keep secrets, especially from my mom, so we had the car parked around the block the night before, and I was, like, itching as much to just tell her, like, what she got for Christmas, and then a morning came, we blindfolded her, walked her out, man, had a, a bow on there, she cried, and it was just like, damn, like, I did this, and I remember having this talk with her when I was, like, seven or eight, man, we was in our Malibu, I remember it's an old three Malibu, man. I'm gonna get you a house, I'm gonna get you a, a car. Uh, she like, boy, I hear you, I hear you. I don't want nothing from you though. Like you just enough for me. But like me being who I am, I had to get that to her and just let her know. Like I just appreciate you for even man. And Flint, just um I just appreciate you for even having me because my mom had me when she was in college, you know, and she dropped out to make sure I was good. So um yeah, it go it go real deep. So, <laughs> I want to go back to the bubble. Um, how difficult was it from a mental standpoint and a mental health standpoint? Yeah. How difficult was it to be in that bubble for? Well, you and the Nuggets were in there for almost three full months. Yeah, uh, the thing was, you just had to follow your routine, man. Um, you know, I brought my game. Uh, only thing was, it was just like, man, it's the same scenery every single day. Like, if we was able to, like, adventure off, off campus and go to a spot or something, I think it would have been a lot easier for guys. But the mental aspect, it was definitely tough, man. So you had to you had to do other things, read, try to just do stuff you wouldn't do. Um, but I think 
that bubble really showed you who really loved hoop and who didn't. Like if you wasn't no, if you really didn't love basketball, I feel like you didn't play well there. Like you didn't, you didn't show like you know what I'm saying you wanted to be there because it's draining, man. It was draining. You playing every other day, no fans, no family until later. But like, yeah, you. I feel like you have to really, really love the game of basketball to be comfortable there and compete there. You know, knowing it's other sixteen other teams out there that's freelancing. You see them social media; they on vacations and doing all this. So that play with your mind too. Like, man, like we could be doing that too. But I think the, the best teams are there. The best teams uh, gain something from it. Just knowing, especially us, like, yo, we can play through anything. Like, you know, if you, if you put your mind to it, you can persevere and, and you can get through anything. So I think going forward for the guys that return, uh, especially on our end, I think it just built our chemistry and our mental toughness. Well, you're an uplifting guy. And you've spent a lot of time on your own. So I can see you getting through it fine. But did you ever have to counsel a, a teammate, another player, man? Uh, come on. We, we can get through this together. What, what was it like with other guys that maybe struggled through the bubble? Um, the only time guys really wanted to lead a bubble was when uh, uh, the Breonna Taylor uh, situation happened. And we boycotted for two days. I think um, – that was the only time when guys was like, you know what, man, like we love basketball, but like for us to stand for some, just the perfect time to, you know, um, we have to give this respect back to Brianna Taylor and her family and all the other situations that happen like this. We can't just bypass it. We have to make it be seen. And I think that was just the only time, you know, a few guys went into it. But then, you know, we was in a huddle and we were just talking like, yo, this shows how strong we is if we do finish. And then now we got a bigger platform because, you you know, realistically, okay, if we would have left the bubble, our platform would be gone. We're not on TV no more. The only guys that really have a big, big platform would be the LeBrons, the, the Carmelo Anthony's, the Chris Paul's, the things like that. So we looked at it from a whole, like if we a brotherhood, let's stay here, let's play. And now we on TV. And when you get your moment to talk about it, speak up and, you know, and talk and talk big time. So um, that's what we had. Um, if that was the only thing I had to talk a few guys like, yo, like our word is more powerful here than all us spreading apart, you know, and trying to get out into the communities and things like that. So I think that was the only situation where I had to let guys know, like, our word would be stronger together than apart. Monte, did the team have anything in place? Was there a psychologist on hand, a therapist, somebody like that? Uh, did you have any kind of daily or every other day session where you aired your grievances and just blew off steam? How did you guys handle it when things did get too intense? Uh, we had uh, we had all that on site. I never got to a low point like that where I really needed to use it, but I know some guys had used it, and they said it definitely helped. Um, you know, every guy is different, man. Every guy think different. But, yeah, me personally, I didn't get that low, but they had everything you could think of to get you through. So I, I take my hat off to the NBA because the thing they did with that whole situation, they – they boxed us in basically on the court and made it feel so real with the with the gameplay in the back to make you feel like you was in a real, real, real arena. So 
I just respect the NBA for even putting the time in to make it feel so realistic because I feel like they could easily could have just had us down there, just threw a court out there and didn't even put the surround sounds and all that in there. So It seems obvious that COVID has it's worked its way through a lot of different organizations in pro sports, Nuggets included. Do you ever worry about coming back? Do you worry about the long-term ramifications, any of that business that comes with this virus? Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, it's a virus that we really don't have an answer to. It's, you know, some some networks say you get it. You touch some, somebody being close to you, like you really don't know how to really get in contact with it. It's so many myths out there. Uh, it's crazy because some guys get it with no symptoms and some guys definitely feel it. Um, so it's definitely something that we're taking serious and that we're trying to avoid because we want the NBA season to flow as smooth as possible, especially on our our team. Um, we don't want no mishaps where guys got to miss games and things like that. So it's definitely something we worry about. Monte, what did you learn about yourself most living in that bubble for three months? Uh, man, that I'm tough, man. I, I made it through, uh, and I and one thing I really learned about myself was that, you know, uh, you play every other day. So it was just like, all right, don't get too happy, don't get too down, just stay even kill, and you'll be fine. You'll get through it. You know, you got so many games coming up. Get your win back. Play, play smooth. Play, have fun with it. I feel like if you wasn't having fun down there, you would have drove yourself crazy because, I mean, you, you're doing the same thing every other day. And I found out, too, you know, who my real friends were, like my family, my team, who really who really had the best interest for Monte, you know, because one game, one day I might play good on Monday. Wednesday we lose, blow out. I don't hear from nobody but the people in my circle that I'm really supposed to hear from, you know. So I just really – that time really just had me in a box room basically and just like yo just look at who you talking to when things not going well when you're down three one and then when you start winning again people want to text you so that really just opened my eyes and my vision just to just to life in general just how the world works so monte was a pleasure talking to you vic and i both appreciate it and good luck in the next nba season appreciate that appreciate you guys having me on All right, time to take a break. When we come back, we'll bring in Matt Vogel. He is the executive director of the National Mental Health Innovation Center to talk about what we just heard from NBA player Monte Morris. We Are Unstoppable is sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You know, Les, when I got hit with prostate cancer, it's the first place I turned to because I know the Anschutz Campus They really delve into breakthrough technology. If there's something new on the horizon, I know they've got it. And I was hit with lung cancer, and that's where I get treated as well, at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. They've got me up and running. They've made me unstoppable. Less, they've made us unstoppable, and they're located right here in the heart of the Rocky Mountain region. We're with Matt Vogel. He's the executive director of the National Mental Health Innovation Center at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. Hey, Matt, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Matt, tell me about the center. Tell me what the center does. 
Yeah, so I, I've been at the university for about 25 years and, you know, over the course of time, just became really frustrated, you know, working in mental health. My background is actually in public health and just, you know, got frustrated seeing the system fail people. And, you know, that we had these long wait lists, um, patients weren't able to get in. We lagged behind the rest of medicine and adopting technology and prevention. And I finally decided, you know, instead of complaining about it, I would put my money where my mouth is and uh, and raise money to start this center. So, so we, we focus on how do we bring new ideas and new thinking into the field? And, and we have a particular focus in the area of technology right now and working with the tech industry to help build and develop new products that are going to be able to help people um, and, and address some of the deficiencies that we have in the system. Let's dive a little deeper there. Let's get a little more specific. What are some of these new ideas? What are some of the new technologies you're working with? Yeah, it's really exciting stuff. You know, um, we, prior to the pandemic, had been doing a lot with virtual reality, and there's just incredible um, potential with VR. There's a lot of data behind how it can help people do everything from meditate to um, helping people learn new skills like suicide prevention, um, helping them uh, be able to treat different conditions, whether that's anxiety, social anxiety, um, or phobias, you know, cure you of your, uh, you know, your fear of heights or fear of flying and things like that. Um, and, but there's, you know, more than VR, cause you know, obviously with the uh, pandemic, it's been harder to deploy that, you know, since everybody's remote now, um, you can't just mail everybody a headset. So I'm also working with companies that are building things like apps, um, and, um, other devices. There's a, a company that we're working with vital neuro that has, um, headphones that have EEG sensors built right into the bridge to help people be able to monitor their brainwaves and help them uh, meditate better and, uh, and, and improve their relaxation. So just a few minutes ago, you might have heard it. We spoke with um, NBA player Monte Morris of the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. And, and he, he talked about the stress of playing pro ball in the middle of the pandemic, what, what it was like playing in the bubble in Orlando, Florida last season, and what it's like as the NBA enters its new season, what all the restrictions will be, and how that will impact mental health. He also talked about how he had to help support not only himself, but his teammates and his family to stay sane and focused throughout the bubble experience. What advice would you give somebody in that situation? Well, you know what? He, he really nailed it. Um, you know, because right now the the mental health system is is stretched to, to the breaking point right now. There's so many people trying to get in and get care, and there's we have these amazing providers out there, but it's it's you know pretty hard to access care. So that really means that it all falls on the rest of us. And so you know, when Monte was talking about you know doing everything that he can to support his family, we all have to do that. Um, you know, they call it peer support, and you know the the way that we can reach out to one another, um, that your friends can you know check in on you, make sure that you're doing well and vice versa. Ultimately, that's that's what's going to get us through this. Uh, Matt, I've spoken with a couple of psychotherapists who are friends, psychologists, etc. And they say that this um, coronavirus, this pandemic has created tremendous mental issues across the board. What are you seeing in terms of mental health issues created by COVID? Yeah, I, you know, I don't think there's a person um, worldwide, that's not going to be impacted by this. And we're going to see the impact on mental health last far beyond when we have the last people vaccinated and the virus itself is gone. We're going to have these lingering effects from that. And so we're seeing, um, you know, big increases with anxiety on adults and kids. You know, people are, they're worried. They're worried about dying. They're worried about, you know, catching the virus. They're worried about, you know, the loss of experiences. You know, I have a son who's a freshman in, in Boulder right now, you know, and, and he's not having the, you know, the, the freshman year he thought he would. Um, his 
his baseball season got canceled, you know, in high school. And, and there's so many people have stories like that. They haven't been able to, to go on trips that they planned or, you know, attend weddings and things. So um, it, it's, it's across the board. The, the concerning thing is that we're also seeing, you know, increases in some pretty serious stuff like increases in uh, family violence increases in suicide, um, you know, don't have all the data there, but, you know, by all accounts and, you know, um, from everybody who's working in the field, we're definitely seeing those increases. Um, and, you know, and seeing increases in, in um, more serious mental illness and, and people that are um, turning to drugs and alcohol to, to self-medicate. Matt, what are some of the ways we can cope? What, what can make us mentally unstoppable, the layman unstoppable in the face of the pandemic? So, you know, I think the biggest thing that, that we're focusing on right now is um, how can we uh, take a, a prevention approach? Because if we wait till people get sick, um, we don't have the capacity in the system to be able to treat everybody without putting people on long wait lists. So, you know, I mentioned peer support. There's a there's a app that we're really excited about. It's um, a company called iRelate, and it's basically a, an app that enables people to, um, to support one another. And they've rolled this out with um, emergency responders. So you have police and fire folks that can connect with um, people that are struggling with, you know, different, uh, the same kind of mental health issues, even if they're not in the same department or even in the same state so that people can support one another. And I, and I think that that's going to be the key. The other big key is for everybody to do things like meditate and, you know, and it doesn't have, you don't, you know, when we say meditate, a lot of people think about, you know, a guy, you know, in a ponytail sitting on a pillow, um, you know, burning sage, it, it doesn't have to be that way. Even if, you know, you just do some basic breathing exercises that can make a huge difference in your day and into just keeping you uh, mentally focused and centered, um, staying active and then staying connected. That's the other thing that's really hard. People are living in isolation and, uh, you know, we're, we're humans. And so we're, we're driven to connect with one another. And if we don't, you know, seek out those opportunities, then that's when bad stuff starts to happen. Matt, down the road, do you see any type of syndrome coming out of this? Are we going to be calling something the COVID syndrome or the coronavirus syndrome? Yeah, I, I do. I, you know, I don't know what they'll call it, but, um, you know, when you look at um, like post-traumatic stress, um, you know, a lot of people in the military have experienced or people who have been assaulted, a lot of times that doesn't show up for a number of years later. And, and it's really hard to figure out like what's triggering, you know, that anxiety. And so it, it's very possible that, you know, several years from now, people who were experienced trauma during this, they experienced the fear of worrying, you know, if I, am I going to catch this? Am I going to die? Um, am I going to lose their job? That, that they're going to have triggers and things that, you know, God only knows what will happen, but they might see something or hear something or, you know, um, be in a situation where it triggers that that trauma and you might not even realize that it's traced back to um to to covid but um that connection will be very real um you founded the national mental health center in 2015 but before that you were a comedian you were a comic (laughs) yes i I was (laughs) how did things get off the rails so much well well you know they, they didn't really i mean if you think about it you know if you're working in mental illness whether it's you know comedy or working uh, you know actually in the field it's kind of the same thing just at different points along I know the what way. you're saying but, I know a lot of comics yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yep, yep, so you know um but but you know seriously I um I got to a point where I realized my own health, mental health was going off the rails and you know you're out late you're traveling a lot um you know you're short on sleep and there's a you know there is a lot of bipolar and depression and stuff you know within comedy and you know and I realized hey I'm not doing a good job of, of taking care of myself and I uh, and I've got a family and um, it got to the point where I, you know I made a suicide attempt 20 years ago so I said you know at that point I, I got to do something different here and um, and as I got better I realized all the problems in the mental health system everything I was describing 
something I experienced myself. And so I said, you know, you got to do something about it. Uh, so that's why I started to, to really focus my career in the field and, and walk away from comedy. You know, the old magazine Reader's Digest used to have a section called Laughter is the Best Medicine. Yeah. Humor really can help in times. Well, humor can help anytime, can't it? Right, right. A absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I think it's, you know, anybody that's been around comedy and, and, you know, and I think people are realizing it now because, you know, the clubs are closed uh, or they were closed for a long time. Some of them, you know, reopening now and it's been harder to access. But, um, you know, just it, it gives you a sense of power when you can laugh at something and when you can make jokes about it, you know, and you have some ownership. You don't feel like this whole pandemic is happening to me, you know, and and now, like, if you look on on Instagram and social media, you know, there, there's tons of humor about it, you know, from everything from when we had the toilet paper shortage to, um, you know, people gaining weight and all the things about this. Um, and, it, and it really does help people cope. You also host a podcast called Crazed. Why don't you tell me about that? So, um, you know, when we listen to a lot of the mental health podcasts that were out there, you know, and, you know, there's a million podcasts, but um, a lot of the mental health ones were were pretty doom and gloom, you know, and, and people, you know, telling their their, you know, uh, heart wrenching stories. And, you know, those are really important. But um, we wanted to have something that was more hopeful and to really highlight the people who are thinking differently and bringing new ideas to the field. So a lot, a lot of technology stuff, but certainly not, um, you know, not limited to that. But, you know, people that just have had new ideas and decided to run with them. All right, let's end on a humorous note, since you're a former comedian. I hope I'm not putting you on the spot here. When I ask you, please tell me what your favorite joke was when you were on stage 20 years ago making a living at this craft. Well, uh, you know, I, I have the reason I'm going to pause. I have to think of a joke that I actually, actually can tell on this uh, on this podcast. But you know, well, um, we're not we're not FCC regulated, so say whatever okay, you so have to I, say. <laughs> anything goes well. Well, you know, Kevin Nealon uh, was always one of my favorite comics uh, to work with. He talked about, you know, if you've ever met Kevin, he's he's really tall. He's like, you know, six, eight or something. And and he says, you know, growing up, I was a basketball player and I was a huge basketball fan. And I've, I've become a student of the game. And one of the things I learned is that they actually used to play uh, basketball on shag carpeting. And then one of the arenas, they pulled it back and realized that there were these beautiful parquet wood floors just waiting to be refinished. And then that became the trend. Uh, so, you know, he, he said it much better than that. <laughs> so that, that was always one of my absolute favorite jokes. Uh, so Kevin Nealon, he was he, he was amazing. All right, well, that's a good way to end it. We we might as well end it with laughter because we need more of that, as we talked about. <laughs> exactly right, Matt. Thank you very much for your time. Hey, thank you. Thanks for listening to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You want more Unstoppable Stories? Subscribe to our podcast wherever you find and listen to podcasts. You can even ask your smart speaker to play We Are Unstoppable Podcasts. And you can visit us at our website, unstoppablepodcasts.com, for more episodes and ways to subscribe. That's unstoppablepodcasts.com. Subscribe today. 